to be obedient to God. Because God is the guy that I try to follow. His book is what I read to follow. I'm not worried about what somebody else may say or what this politician may say. I'm more concerned about what Almighty God says. Because on Judgment Day, guess what? I'm not going to answer to anybody in Washington, D.C. Hallelujah. <laughs> or in Oklahoma City. Or in downtown Jinx. Not going to answer to any of these guys. But we're going to answer to a much higher power, Almighty God. And so, as we've studied through the Old Testament, that image of putting our hope in things other than what God tells us to put them in has not been a good thing. But you know, we do it all the time. We put our hope in marriage. We just think, well, if I could just get married, boy, my whole life's going to just, just work out great. And we find out that it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Now, lust will get us. John Hagee used to say there's three stages to marriage, and you have to decide which stages you find yourself. There's lust, rust, and dust. So you've got to decide where you are. It's real easy to start out on the marriage. It's a whole lot tougher to keep it going. But maybe it's children. Sometimes... Husband and wife said, well, if we can just have kids, it'll cement our marriage and he won't be going out so much. Or she won't be going out so much. And then we think, you know, I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket of finances. But just have more money. Because all I need is more money. If I had more money, everything will, whoop, everything will be all right. So when we put our hope in something, it eventually will spring a leak. And as we leave our hope there, as the guy found out about the pool, it eventually dries up completely. So, let's do a quick recap of kind of where we are so far. 721 B.C., Israel is taken captive by Assyria. The northern kingdom falls to King Sennacherib. The southern kingdom is next, except for Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a redeeming factor. And then he dies, and his son Manasseh takes over, and he's a very evil, evil king. Very evil king. And he didn't follow in the footsteps of his dad, and he didn't do the things that God had called him to do. He listened to those around him, and they weren't giving him good advice. There were more kings, and Josiah is really the only bright spot. And then Babylon comes along and King Nebuchadnezzar is a rising world power. 606 B.C., Judah is conquered by the Babylonians. They conquered Jehoiakim, took temples, treasures, the young royals, including a young man named Daniel. You've heard that name, haven't you? 597 B.C., Judah is raided again by the Babylonians who took the rest of the temple treasure. And King Jehoiachin and 10,000 officers, fighting men, craftsmen, and artisans, including the prophet Ezekiel. Now, why would they want to take a prophet? <clears throat> well, they did. 586 B.C., Jerusalem burned, was burned by the Babylonians. They even put out the eyes of King Zedekiah with 800 more captive, leaving only the poorest of the poor. One... 
of them that was left behind was the prophet Jeremiah. I guess he was uh, poor. <laughs> they didn't want to take him. But he stayed behind Jerusalem to grieve its loss and to warn the people. That's why God left him there. And he pled with the people. He became known as the weeping prophet. He continued to warn the people, but they still didn't listen. Jeremiah preached for 50 years. Not one person responded to God's message. Now, I don't know about you. You're not, if you're on a pulpit committee to hire Jeremiah as the next preacher, and you're looking at his back past, his past church building ability, you're going to move on past him. I mean, the boy preached 50 years and nobody? He's either a lousy preacher or something was wrong. But Jeremiah was reluctant to begin with, and God had told him that people wouldn't listen. He predicted Judah's fall and encouraged surrender. And King Zedekiah didn't like it. He had Jeremiah thrown into a cistern. Let's read about that in Jeremiah chapter 2. And uh, starting in verse 9. Therefore, I will bring a case against you again. This is the Lord's declaration. I will bring a case against your children's children. Verse 10, cross over to Cyprus and take a look. Send someone to Kedar and consider carefully. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be horrified at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly appalled. This is the Lord's declaration. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So they throw him into a cistern. Verse 11, they're kind of like on a field trip. No pagan society had ever changed its God. And the adulterous nations around Judah were more faithful to their false gods than the people of Judah were to the one true God. Even the pagans are more consistent than you. Verse 12, let your hair stand on end. It's a metaphor. It's talking about idolatry. A cistern that doesn't hold water. See, they were looking for something other than God to be their source of satisfaction. Same thing that we do today. We think somehow the government is going to be our source of nourishment and encouragement. No. We think... My job is going to do that. We think my vehicle is going to do that. We think if I could just get a better house, that would do it. If I had more cable, that would do it. If I had more internet access, and if it was a faster speeded internet, man, I could do more. There's a thirst within us that cannot be quenched. God is the spring who wanted to feed them, wanted to give them life from that spring, and they pitched it aside when the water's running right in view to go into a cistern. You know, a cistern is just a hole that's dug, covered with plaster to collect rainwater. The water is brackish, and it would run out during the dry season. Cisterns were always developing cracks, leaking water. To choose, a, to choose a broken cistern over a stream of pure water would not, was not very smart. How many cisterns are you digging 
where there's clean water running right next to it. Oh, preacher, I, I, man, you're, I don't do that. Instead of looking to God for comfort, you turn to the cistern of food and drink. <laughs> I've gone from preaching to meddling now. Instead of looking to God for significance, you look to your career or your accomplishments. Hold them up. It's been fun to watch the NFL draft proceedings. It's kind of interesting to watch these young men. I noticed one of them, he, he, he got down on his knee and proposed to his girlfriend, of which she accepted, and later that day he was drafted in the first round. I'll bet you her wedding plans just changed. Instead of looking to God for security, you look to money and investments. Instead of looking to God for joy, you look to your marriage or your children, and that somehow is going to bring you joy. It's a lot of work to make both of those happen. It takes a lot of work. Instead of looking to God for hope, you look to the government or some political party. It's not necessarily wrong, but instead of looking for help, we've placed our hope in things other than God. Cistern digging is really hard work. And some of you have been digging. And you're exhausted. You're always pursuing something. You keep chasing things to make you happy. Solomon said trying to find satisfaction in things other than God is like chasing the wind. I like to watch my grandkids play. They like to chase the wind. We'll blow bubbles and the wind will blow and they go chasing those bubbles. They don't last very long either. But it's just like chasing the wind. Cistern drinking has a bitter aftertaste. Stagnant water. Let's look at Jeremiah 2 in verse 19. Your own evil will discipline you. Your own apostasies will reprimand you. Think it over and see how evil and bitter it is for you to abandon the Lord your God and to have no fear of me. This is the declaration of the Lord God of hosts. I was in college in Dallas. There was a steakhouse called The Shed. Loved the place. I don't know if it's, it's I don't think it exists anymore. Can't imagine they could afford it. But back, back then, you could go in and you'd say, I want sirloin steak. They would bring out a platter, a platter of steaks piled up on it. It would be 8, 10, 12 of them laying on top of this thing. Now, you can get the side stuff, the baked potatoes and all that. But the whole main focus was that steak on that platter. Now, that's one thing to have that kind of meat, isn't it? What if you went in and on the menu it said beef jerky? And so you ordered sirloin beef jerky. Beef jerky. <laughs> and they brought it out on a plate. Which would you prefer to have? The sirloin steak cooked to perfection? Or the dried up old beef jerky that you got to work on to chew up? I mean, you can put a piece of beef jerky in your mouth and suck on it for two days. It's still going to be there. And it's not going anywhere. And to chew it, really? (laughs) I love it. But after a while, it would get annoying and frustrating. And you'd probably get upset because you really wanted that choice steak and you end up with beef jerky. Just something about that experience that isn't there. It isn't right. 
You see, God provides something. He provides some sirloin steak for us to have. And yet we reject that and go after this pile of beef jerky. Why? Because that's what I want to do. Because that's the way I am. I'm my own person. I'm my self-made person. Some of you have experienced that with your own kids. I mean, you've raised them right. You did. You raised them right. You had them at church. You poured the love of God in them. You exampled the Lord before them. You did all the right things. Only to watch them drink from the cisterns that the world has to offer. And break your heart in process. Your wickedness, Jeremiah says, will punish you. You see, God allows our own sins to bring pain and discipline into our lives. Sometimes God lets us have our own way and we have to deal with the pain and hurt of those natural consequences. So a good question at this point is, what cistern are you drinking from? When the clear water of God is running right next to you. With tears, Jeremiah expresses God's heart to his people. Please come home. Repent. Turn back. Have nothing to do with these cisterns. Look in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. A lion has gone up from this thicket, from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has left his lair to make your land a waste, your cities to be reduced to uninhabited ruins. Because of this, put on sackcloth, mourn and wail, for the Lord's burning anger has not turned away. From us. He's telling them to turn. He's telling them to repent. Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. Roam through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search in her squares. If you find one person, who, uh, any who acts justly, who seeks to be faithful, then I will forgive her. Just one. Just one he was looking for. So when God, if God comes to Jinx and He comes to River Oaks, is He going to find one faithful right here in our place? Some have asked the question, and it's kind of an interesting question, if Jesus came to Jinx, Oklahoma today, which church would He pick to come and visit? Well, we all think He'd come here. Amen. After all, we're the most loving church in all of our city. We're the most gracious church in our whole city. We're also the most humble church here in the city of Jinx. I mean, after all, we help people that nobody else will help. And we even have the big churches sending them to us. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, that alone should have God come here, right? Amen? I have a feeling He would be here. He'd, I don't know if He'd come to any church. He'd probably miss Jinx and go right on down to the bridge downtown. Where there's people in need. If you've ever thought of God as vengeful and full of wrath, remember the scene that we just read in Jeremiah. God is weeping as His nation is removed from what He gave them. Even in judgment, though, God is patient and merciful. In the New Testament, God is patient. He doesn't want any to perish. God is loving and keeps warning and keeps hoping. You ever made a threat to your children? You didn't want to enforce it? You ever said to them, if you do this one more time... If you're not going to follow through on the threat, don't make it. Don't keep saying, well, I really mean it this time. Really? You really do mean it? 
You need to be able to say, if you don't stop this, here's what's going to happen. And then they need to know what's going to happen. Oh, I used to hate it when my mother would say, wait till your dad gets home. So that would be in the morning. I'd figure by late in the afternoon, she would have forgot it because she was old. Moms, I found out, don't forget anything. So dad walks in the door and mom meets him at the door. That's not a good sign. And then he, he, he goes from a smile on his face to this ogre looking look. And then his eyes find you. And at that point, your whole world is flashing before you. Your life is in jeopardy. And then that dreaded... You know that belt coming off around his waist? And you know without a shadow of a doubt that it was your brother that did whatever she thinks she's saying you did. Don't make a threat that you don't plan to follow through because God says if you don't repent, there's going to be a price you're going to pay. However, however, if you do repent, there's also a price that has already been paid. And you and I can rejoice. And you and I can find the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the peace of God. That passes all understanding. And is that not a picture of mothers? Is that not a picture of mothers? So this is how God looks at His nation. He looks at us the same, same way. Finally, after many warnings, God's judgment takes place. Jerusalem's destroyed. People of Judah removed. And some would say, man, if God loved His people so much, why did He let this happen? Oh, we're hearing that today. Well, if God loved us so much, why does He let this happen? Why does He let children have cancer? Why does He let this go on? Why did He let 9-11 happen? Well, if God loved us so much. And my answer to that is simply, we've kicked Him out. Amen. We don't want Him. You don't want to follow God, do you? If you follow God, that means you're going to have to make some changes in your life. Ooh. But the better part of the story is that God had to act the way He did because there's times when He's got to let us run into the wall. Remember, I've told you that story how I get these kids to say, hey, before you do that, just run into that wall as hard as you can. Head first. They said, well, it'll knock me out. I said, it'll stop you from doing what you're fixing to do. <laughs> and maybe knock some sense into you. But you know, there's sometimes that you can't even tell them, can you? So what do they got to do? Run into the wall. Sometimes you'd like to take them and just throw them into the wall, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'm... Thoughts crossed your mind. That was one of the categories I was going to do is that the mother that's here that thought this week of killing their child. No, but I, Cindy thought that was a little, little, little harsh. But you see, God wasn't going to send any confusing message to them. Reap what you sow. That's the message my mother gave me. His love for us is so great, His holiness is so pure that He can't compromise on either end of that. Yet in the midst of sorrow, there's a message of hope. God continues to speak through His people, through His prophets, to His people, and God calls Judah back to Him. I saw an example of what our culture is looking like the other day when I read this story. There's a hotel, and I, and I 
can't remember where it was, but this hotel decided, made a decision to take all the Bibles out of the, out of the rooms. Took all the Bibles out. And they were going to replace the Bibles with another book. And the book they replaced it with was the Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I've not read that book, but I read about the book. So they took the Bible out of each hotel room. They replaced it with pornography. It's really, it's a gray, dark, lust-filled book. So, what are they doing really? They're taking God's truth, God's life, and removing it and putting a different source in its place. And that's what idolatry looks like in 2014. If you remove God, you're going to pay a price. You remove God's Word, you're going to pay a bigger price. And if you say God's Word doesn't say these things, you need to go back and read your Bible. The book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah as he watched Jerusalem's destruction. Let's see some of it in Lamentations chapter 3. Yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm so grateful for verse 23. Because great is God's faithfulness. And while we're not faithful, He's faithful. And although the people turn their backs on God, they would still receive undeserved grace and mercy just like you and me. But let's go back to Babylon, or fast forward to Babylon, and Ezekiel, and look at Ezekiel 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says, it's not for your sake that I will act. House of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am Yahweh, the declaration of the Lord God, when I demonstrate my holiness through you, through you in their spirit, or excuse me, in their sight. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be what? Your God. Nations will know in verse 23 that I am the Lord. Notice, there's a hint of the Messiah in these passages. When it says we're going to cleanse you from all impurities. Put a new spirit in you. That's New Testament. That's New Covenant information. God is saying, I want to live in you and I want to make a way for you to come back to Me. See, the invitation is always open. The invitation is to come home. God's eager to forgive and restore if we'll just let Him. He's just a turn away. Remember the prodigal son? The dad's walking the porch. He's looking. He's waiting. He's waiting. And sees this, this speck on the horizon. And he knows it's his son and he runs to him. He doesn't sit back. Aaron and I sang a song. It's been, it seemed like a long time ago. When God ran... Great song, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. Listen to it on YouTube. It'll make you cry. Because God runs to us. All we do is turn. He comes running. Isn't that awesome? It's a great picture. It's a great picture. 
You see, God is up to something. When Jesus arrives 600 years later, He introduces Himself as the living water. The source, the spring in John 4. Jesus meets uh, this woman who's married five times, living with another man. She's built multiple cisterns. They leaked. Built another one the day that she arrives at the well to talk to Jesus. And then in John 4, verses 13 and 14, we see Jesus saying, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. The cistern, 14. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him, he will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. You want that well to spring up in you, amen? Spring up in you. John seven thirty eight. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water, where? Flowing from deep within him. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. That's where you want that water to flow from. And it's the water of God. Ezekiel had a vision in chapters 40 through 48, and in chapter 47, what started as a spring coming from the temple turns into this mighty rushing river that brings life and healing. It's really a prophecy about the church. Because the church is a river. And the picture that we have in Ezekiel's vision is one that starts gently flowing, but it continually picks up steam, gets deeper as it goes, the current gets stronger, and it can become very dangerous. But it's one that is nourishing the land and it's influencing the land and it changes the environment into which it's flowing. We as the church should be that river flowing into our culture to change it. Change it. Because it needs to be changed. It's a promise. It's a promise of a time coming. All the way back in Ezekiel. A time in which you and I live. People who, because of Jesus, have a new heart and a new spirit. We don't just go to church. We're in the middle of a mission to reveal God to the people who live around us. And God is using us to reveal His heart and remind people that He's always waiting on them, eager to forgive them and restore their lives if, if, if they'll let Him. They'll let Him. Now, I don't know about you, but that describes mothers in a way that I never could have said it. A mother will always pray for her children. A mother will always provide forgiveness for her children. A mother will always find a way to work through and love that child no matter what. That's the that's a love of a mother. So often it looks like God because God loves us that way. And moms are special, so special. Make sure you make a call today. Even if, even if your mom hasn't been everything in your life that you hoped and needed her to be, she's still your mother. So just give her a call. If you can, just drop by. We've got some extra flowers. Take her a flower. She may holler at you. She may say ugly things to you, but you know what? You're going in the name of the Lord. Because Jesus has forgiven you. 
Jesus has healed you. Jesus is restoring you. And he's eager. He's eager to forgive. He's eager to restore if, if we let him. Father, I ask you this morning to move among your people, to move among your children here at the church. Father, I'm praying that you will be real in each life. That, Father, we will quit digging cisterns that crack and leak, taste bad, and we'll just take a a quick step to the right where your streams of living water are flowing. And at that point, find, find the blessing that we need. Find the forgiveness and hope that we need. Because it's not in the stuff that we have. It's not in stuff that we can accomplish. It's all about you. It's all in you and through you. And so, Father, I'm grateful that you are ready. I'm grateful that you are eager. And I'm grateful that you're ready to pour out forgiveness and repentance into the hearts of your people. If they would just respond. Could today be that day for one person in this room? In Jesus' name, amen. Understand and sing our song of invitation. Great song, just as I am. God's moving in your heart to respond to it today. Just as.